Okay, so we're doing our best. Yeah, yeah, okay, so, so I apologize, everybody. Let's go ahead and start now. Let me go ahead and pray over oh, for, for, for Tim and, and, uh, and Breck, if you guys would agree with me. Father, we lift up our brother Tim to you, and, uh, you know, we know that uh, he's on antibiotics for this, for this thing, but, Lord, we ask that you, you um, cause his body to respond well to the antibiotics, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that uh, that infection uh, just be um, just obliterated, Lord, in Jesus' name. I ask, Father God, that uh, he would even begin to feel better now, that the swelling would begin to reduce, that, uh, that he would, um, uh, you know, perceive in his body, perceive in his body that he is healed. It's the same with the woman with the issue of blood. She touched the, the hem of Jesus' garment, and in, her, in herself she perceived that she had received healing. And so we ask for healing to, uh, to permeate him, and heal his body, and what and if he's weak in any other area physically, we ask, Lord, that you would uh, strengthen that, lift that up. And uh, Lord, we also lift up Brett to you, and his, he, he requires his knee for his work, and we prayed over his shoulder, you'd healed his shoulder. We ask, Lord, that that healing now extend to his knee, that you would uh, cause ease of use, the full range of motion, the ability to, to move and walk and sit and run without any, any pain, any discomfort, Lord. We just ask that in Jesus' name as part of the provision that we have received from you, Lord, and we thank you. And we love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. All right. Um, she said to say one, two, three, start. Oh, it's already going. Okay. Is it? Is it not? Bill, could we get some volume out of the wireless mic that, that Tim usually uses to pray us in? Okay. Go, go ahead and give him a minute to... Yes, did you, did you turn the power on, right? Okay, she's got it on. Go ahead and talk into it a little bit. We'll see if we can. Still not getting anything. It, it might be muted. <laughs> yeah, but we want to, uh, you know. Did, did, you, did you find it, Bill? Let me see. We ought to just give that give that mic a name like Howard or something. We need you to give Howard. Ah, here we go. Praise God. <laughs> Well, this is different, right? But praise God, can't keep God's people down, can you? And when there's a will, there's a way. And praise God, we are the way because we are children of the Most High. And I'm so thankful to get to see you. I may not get to hug you, but I'm sending that virtual hug out to every one of you. And I'm just glad to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. You know, it's been wonderful to be able to hear the pastor and hear the word of God. But there's still that missing factor of the love of God's people. And we're thankful that we did get to hear the word. But now we're so thankful that we get to see each other's smiling faces and see the love of God on each and every one of our faces. And that's important. And as you go through the week, I always look forward to Sunday. And it was just different. 
Even though I knew that we were all watching together, it still was different. And I'm thankful and I'm praising God that it's not going to be long until we're going to be in there without these things and worshiping God like always. But I just thank the Lord for protecting and watching over us and keeping us all in his love and care. Let's just go to the Lord this morning and thank him for this service. Father God, we just praise you and thank you that we know you're here. You've been with us through this whole thing. <laughs> and I'm so thankful that we have got a beautiful place to come and worship you. The wind is slightly blowing and we have shade. But most of all, we have the love of God. And we feel your mighty presence this morning. And so we just ask right now that you come into our midst and you minister to every single one of us. And as Father God, we come together in spirit and in truth. We know you're here with us and we thank you for that. And we just ask that um, as we minister out and as the pastor ministers this morning, that it not only touches hearts here, but everywhere that it is heard, Father, you minister. And for all of those that couldn't be here, we send our love to them. And we thank you that we have a way of reaching out to all of those that we love so dearly. We do miss different ones, but we understand. And we thank you, Father, for being here now and just joining us as we give praise to the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you for it. Amen. Sorry, I had a string emergency.
no God like Jehovah. There's 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 no God like Jehovah.
Thank you. We keep playing for just a second. Just I um, thought of this while we were doing that song, is that I did a youth camp one time, and there was me worship, and there was another guy that was a that was co-leading with me, and you know uh, we did this song. We, there was a, a point where they had a, a a paintball thing, which was you know which was cool. I wanted to play paintball, but Dave said if you could just my brother Dave, who was in charge of the camp, said if you could just stay behind and and invite. Uh, what, whoever, whichever youth want to stay here and, and worship, and I said, yeah, okay, I can do that, you know, um, and he, you know, he, he made the announcement, and a bunch of them left, I think there was maybe three or four youth that stayed behind to worship, and we did this song, and, and I mean, they were all down at the altar on their knees in tears, <laughs> and I remember thinking, man, I wish that I had had this passion for worship when I was in high school, you know, and it was so powerful, God's presence was so strong, and it was just, it was just awesome, you know. And, the, and at the end of it, the other worship leader came to me and he said, "You know, what? we we really could sing this song forever, couldn't we?" And I said, "Yeah, we we could." Because we did this song for like maybe half an hour, you know. Don't worry, I'm not going to go back into it, but I'm just telling you, you know. So praise God. Amen. Working in the 
light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. 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 Jesus. That is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you are. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Praise you, Lord. That definitely is who he is. Praise God. He is making the way. If you don't believe it, just look around you. Well, it's that wonderful time that we get to give to the Lord. I, most of you know that I am the secretary of the church. So, I'll be honest. I had to, you know, uh, get over a little bit of fear when... The pastor said, you know, we can't have services anymore. And I thought, okay, then how are people going to give? <laughs> but, you know, the Lord has come through, and I just wanted to share that with you. We haven't missed a payment. We've made all our bills with some left over, praise God. And he has uh, laid it on people's hearts that has never given and so, as we've had this time, God's shown himself mighty in so many ways. But even in the way of supporting the church. You know, and, and if this would have happened six months ago, we wouldn't have had the way for people to give online. But thankfully, Brother Bill said, you know, I just feel about six, well, he's been feeling longer than that, I guess, but about six months ago, he said, this is something we just really need to take care of because we need to be able to have people give with their credit cards. So he got, <laughs> the board said, well, if you feel that strongly about it, then make it happen. And, you know, right before this all happened, we got it online. Now, if you don't think that's God, because he knew what was coming, and he knew we needed this way, and so he made the way, like he always does. 
So you can get my credit card now from now on. We can just, we'll have it available when we're all in church again. But if you're out there online, you could give that way. Some of you mailed your money in. Some of you had tithe that you wanted to write a check for, and you mailed it in. And we just thank Rosie and Alan for picking up the mail and taking care of that and making sure that money went into the bank. That was all a blessing. And we count our blessings around here, don't we? So if you've got an offering that you would like to give, I know many of you have already put it in this because you knew that that's what it was for. But we'd just like to pray over it and thank the Lord for making that way. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come before you right now thanking you for making the way in each and every one of our lives. It's been tough, Father. But you, you are our, our way maker. And we just praise you and thank you for it. We thank you for the offering that has been coming in these last few weeks. That's been able to make sure that we didn't have to miss a payment to anyone. We've been able to keep the lights on and the water going. We've been able to pay our sweet pastor, his family. And Father, you even gave us extra. And we praise you for it. We thank you, Father, now for everyone that's been giving, those that give today. And Father, we especially ask for blessings on those that are having a tough time and are just not able to give, but we know they're giving in their hearts. They're giving their love to you. And they're trusting you, Father. And we thank you for the love and the trust that we can count on with you. And we praise you for it now. And we thank you for blessing abundantly each and every person that hears this. And just know that God loves you. We love you, Father, and we thank you for it now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Bill wanted me to make an announcement is that, is that if you want to look up the lyrics on your phone, if you have the Faith Life app, you can follow along with what, the, with what he's actually doing right now. Um, so you can actually have the slides on your phone or, or whatever. Um, but you have to download the Faith Life app and then find the church. Um, I don't know exactly how to do that, but you guys are probably more tech savvy than I am. You can figure it out. So praise God. Well, I'm just going to keep worshiping. Amen.
will build. Work on us, Lord. Thank you for your presence, Lord. That we can lean into. Take full advantage of. Lord, lift up the needs across this community to you. You know the need of every heart, every household. ask you to provide. And those people whose hearts are hungry, thirsty, itching, if you will, uh, unsatisfied, dissatisfied, uncontented. Pray, Father God, that you nudge them. Show them that Bible sitting in their bookshelf. <laughs> Urge them, Lord, to dust it off and to seek the living God. Prepare their heart to, to, to understand it as they read it, Lord. And give them understanding. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus. taken me from the miry clay, set my feet upon the rock, and now I know I love you, I need you, though my world may fall, I'll never you go my 
now I know. you, Lord. I ask, Lord, that as uh, we get ready to get into the word, that you bless it, Lord, that you help me put that anointing on me, that ability of yours to be able to carry the word. We love you, Lord, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Take that down, Bill. Testing one, two, test, 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 test. That sounds about right, right there. Maybe a little, maybe just a little bit more. Testing one, two. Oh, wow, I've got the sun right. There we go. Got a mobile platform. I had my eyes closed too long, everything looked blue. Ooh. Cut that wind down, Lord, please. seems a little better. Try this here. Sorry, I'm just testing it. Yeah. You know what? We could actually... Yeah, actually, if we took... Uh, that won't work. If we just took this, these two back down and put it up here as a windshield. Oh, the tent? Yeah, the tent. Yep. Iris? Hey, guys. <laughs> huh? 
Yeah, shorten the back two legs. Thank you, Becky. Keep the ambiance going. Gotta cut that too. technical difficulties. I think that'll help. How's that? Now Jonathan can't see me because of the tree. That's okay. Yeah, I think so. It's a lot better. Thank you, guys. I feel like I've got my own portable igloo. Okay, so praise God. I'll let you let you work work your technical skills on that. Well, like Henrietta said, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm very excited to have everybody where I can see you, you know, um, and uh, hope you didn't mind me, me indulging in worship a little longer than normal because I, having you all with me makes it, uh, makes it that much better, you know. So, um, you got to open your Bibles if you have them or your phone or whatever you're using uh, to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, and uh, this this is a Mother's Day message called Two Women of Valor. Two Women of Valor. Specifically, we're going to honor the office of a mother by looking at the Jewish tradition surrounding the Proverbs 31 woman. So, a um, couple of thoughts before we get into this. The potential relationship between a between a mother and her children is unique. Not that it's necessarily better, or, um, you know, than other relationships they may have, but it's it's unique in that she carries her children, and then uh, afterward, in the first years of their lives, she gives them constant care. And in those early foundational years, no one has a greater capacity to influence them, for good or for ill. And so it's interesting to find that most mothers feel inadequate, you know, and uh, they, they feel like they're not 
enough. But to those mothers who put in countless hours and do the best they know how, you are blessed and highly favored of the Lord. So when Mother's Day comes around, most mothers hear sermons preached about the Proverbs 31 woman, and it's a shame that, that so many ministers fall into the cultural gap by a lack of understanding why God included this passage in the Word. Uh, several years ago, I came across an article called Three Things You Might Not Know About Proverbs 31, and it's uh, by a lady named Rachel Held Evans, and you know, I don't agree with everything that she has to say, but she has some really good thoughts. So if you, you know, very good article if you want to look that up, then but I'm going to go ahead and read a few opening statements of that article to you. She writes, it never fails. Every year on the Monday after Mother's Day, I receive a flood of messages from women who spit yesterday morning grimacing through yet another Proverbs 31 sermon. The pastors usually mean well. They want to honor women on Mother's Day, so they turn to the biblical passage most associated with femininity. Wow, I said that right. The one that culminates with what may be the most cross-stitch Bible verse of all time. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And uh, then she goes on to write, But for women like me who grew up thinking of the domestic superheroine of Proverbs 31 as an impossible standard by which to mark my shortcomings as a woman, the passage can come with some baggage. And then she says, Like any good poem, the purpose of this one is to draw attention to the often overlooked glory of the everyday. Proverbs 31 should not be interpreted prescriptively as a job description for all women. Its purpose is to celebrate wisdom in action. I like that. So when we study the Bible, we need to be aware that there are four gaps that can make it difficult for us to understand it. There's the time gap, the cultural gap, the language gap, and the geographical gap. And in this case with Proverbs 31, we're dealing mostly again with the cultural gap because in the Jewish home, the husband was actually the one that memorized Proverbs 31 and he sang it to his wife during the Sabbath meal every week. And additionally, he could sing it to her if he noticed her do any of the things in this chapter that we're about to read. So we need to understand the motive behind the writing of it. Why is it in the Bible? Why did God put it there? So let's uh, go ahead and read it, starting in verse 10. I'm, I'm uh, in the New King James Version. And it says, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain she does him good and not evil all the days of her life she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands she is like the merchant ships she brings her food from afar she also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants she considers a field and buys it from her prophets, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. 
She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands. Let her own works praise her at the gates. In the gates, excuse me. And so on the surface here, it does. It may seem like this woman is working all her life and burning the candle at both ends. But again, this is a poem in which is contained all the traits of women who are virtuous. In other words, these are virtuous behaviors that are approved by God. It's not his task list for every woman. In the margin of my Bible, the Amplified Notes say, it is most unfortunate that this description of God's ideal woman is usually confined in the reader's minds merely to its literal sense, her ability as a homemaker. But it is obvious that far more than that is meant. When the summary of what makes her value far above rubies is given in verse 30, it is her spiritual life only that is mentioned. Verse 30 says, But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? It doesn't mean to be afraid of God. It means to live in awe of God. And because of that awe, we seek to please him. So again, when it says, when, when the, the summary of what makes her value far above rubies is given, it is only her spiritual life that is mentioned. One can almost hear the voice of Jesus saying, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And that's uh, not, not a reference to Jesus' mother, Mary. We'll talk about her later. But it's, it's talking about the story of Martha and Mary. You know, Jesus was in their house teaching a bunch of people. And Martha was busy getting the dinner ready while Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his words. And so Martha got upset. She asked Jesus to make her sister help her. Come on, you know what? It's not fair that I'm doing all this work and my sister's just sitting here listening to the teaching. And Jesus said, Martha, you're concerned about all the work, all the details. But Mary has found that good part and it will not be taken away from her. What did Jesus mean by that? He meant that Mary recognized when it was the proper time to sit at his feet and seek to please God in that way. That's a big part of the fear of the Lord. So before we move on from this passage, we need to make note of something. That first line in verse 10 said, who can find a virtuous wife? Another translation of that term, virtuous wife, is a woman of valor. Who can find a woman of valor? The word valor means this. Strength of mind or spirit that enables a person to encounter danger with firmness. Personal bravery. Valor. That definition is from Webster's. And it says, who can find a woman of valor? There's a woman in the word who actually earns that very title. So let's turn over to the book of Ruth. Ruth is a smallish book right in between Judges and Samuel. Get there. It's a easy to pass it <clears throat> and my kids can tell you you know because we read the bible all the time ruth is one of my very favorite books so much symbolism that i don't you know i can't get to, don't have time to get into here but um <clears throat> and uh, you know we're going to start in chapter one but before we do that i'm going to give you some important background info ruth was not an israelite she was a foreigner to god's people and during a famine, some, a Jewish family had moved into to Ruth's home country of Moab. And Ruth ended up marrying one of the sons of this Jewish family. Well, the father died, 
and then both the sons died, leaving Ruth only with her sister-in-law Orpah and her mother-in-law Naomi. So Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi, having lost her husband and her sons, decided it was best to go back to Israel, and she told her daughters-in-law to go back to their people and their gods. She said, go back to your people, go back to your gods, I'm, I'm going back by myself, going back to my homeland. So let's pick up the story down here in verse, 13, verse 14, excuse me, Ruth 1, 14. It says, then they, that's Naomi and her daughters-in-law, they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if, and if anything but death parts you and me so we already see this part of this strength of spirit in Ruth that she is being tenacious with Naomi and if you look up that word tenacious you'll find that it means to be able to grip firmly to something and remember we just read Ruth clung to Naomi Ruth told her wherever you go I will go your people will be my people your God will be my God so there was something in Naomi's life Ruth saw that she wanted that she was willing to grip onto. And when Naomi saw this quality in Ruth, she decided to say nothing more. You know, okay, there's no, no need, no reason to argue with this girl. She's, she's coming. And so the two of them went back to Israel, actually to the town of Bethlehem, where Jesus would be born many generations later. And when they got there, they had, they had nothing. They were the poorest of the poor. And that's common when a family suffers as much death as this family has. So let's look at the beginning of chapter 2. It says, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. Now stop for a second. One of the ordinances that God put into place for his people was that during harvest time, if they accidentally dropped any sheaves of grain, they were supposed to leave them there for the poorest people in the land to glean or pick up. And that was God's plan he had in place for the people to learn to care for the poor. So he had a plan of provision for the poorest. Now, the reason that Ruth is saying, let me go out and glean after him with whom I find favor, is because she's a foreigner. She's not expecting the people to welcome her with open arms. She's expecting to be treated like a second-class citizen. Okay, so verse 2 again. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, or, and she said to her go, my daughter. Verse 3, then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant, who was in charge of the reapers, answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Now, 
of course, this you know Ruth, Ruth is not his actual daughter. It's just this is a this is a cultural term of endearment that he's extending to her. Okay, so he says, "Listen, my daughter, will you not? Uh, do not go to glean in any other field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels." And drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work. And a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And we'll skip down to verse 19 for lack of time, but I'll say that Boaz told his harvesters to drop extra sheaves on purpose for Ruth for her to pick up. So when she got home, she had this whole bunch, this huge amount of, of stuff to take home to Naomi. And verse 19 says, And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took note of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. So uh, now when Naomi explains this to Ruth about Boaz being a close relative, she's touching on one of God's other provisions that he has set in place for his people. If a man died with no son to carry on the family name, a close relative could marry his widow in order to have a son for the man who had died in order to carry on the family name. And, now, and there's reasons for that, that when God allotted portions of land to the people, that portion, one portion of land could not pass to another family. And so in order to ensure that the daughters of the man, like say, say a man died and he had daughters, but he had no sons, in order that that land would still be in his family, they had to raise up somebody who could carry on the name. So, so, you, so God was doing this for a provision for the future generations of a family who lost, who lost uh, the, the, uh, the man to carry on the family name. So uh, God calls them a family redeemer. That's what this person was called. And, uh, you know, that's one of the types and shadows of Jesus, who is our Redeemer. And Ruth is in exactly this type of situation where her, her Jewish husband has died without, without an heir. And so you can see how God is actually setting up Ruth to be provided for permanently. Why? Because she's faithful. So, uh, sorry, verse 21. By... Uh, I think I lost my page here. Verse 21. Yes, verse 21. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now, that's just a couple verses, but it shows how hard Ruth worked. Actually, she worked in the field for two full harvests. That's a significant amount of time. And at the end of that time, Naomi gave Ruth some instructions about how to ask Boaz to marry her and redeem her. Because Naomi is thinking about her provision. She's like, should I not provide, uh, look, seek, seek uh, provision for you? you know. 
And so uh, Ruth submits and she follows Naomi's instructions. Now, let me just say that submission is not the same thing as being a pushover. Because Ruth is not a pushover. Because you remember in the beginning of the story, Naomi tried hard to get Ruth to turn back, but Ruth refused. Nope, I'm going with you. <laughs> so we could see that Ruth understood when to submit. So, you know, in church today, we have a lot of controversy over this issue of submission because the word says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. But sometimes people forget that in the verse right before that, it says submit to, to one another. All Christians are supposed to submit to one another. And so God was giving instruction about submission to the whole church, not just wives. To the wives, he said, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And, you know, to me, as unto the Lord implies that there may be some things a husband demands that the Lord would not approve of. So you submit to your husband as unto the Lord. You know, not as, the, as though he is the Lord, but as unto God. So that means that if he says something God wouldn't say, nope. You know, 1 Corinthians 11 says that the head of man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband. But if a man is unruly and is not willing to let Christ be head over him, what business does he have trying to get his wife to submit to anything? First things first, as they say, husbands submit to Christ as head over you and then you will be in a much better position for your wives to submit to you as unto the Lord. Because if a man asks his wife to do something that Jesus would not ask her to do, that request exists outside of the marriage covenant. So anyway, I got sidetracked a bit. So Ruth is go going to follow Naomi's instructions about this family redeemer thing. And the instructions are for her to take a bath, dress her best, go to the threshing floor after Boaz has fallen asleep and lie down at his feet. And you know, that seems like what well, that seems kind of strange. But, you know, we have to remember that this is the custom and it is it has some symbolic meaning. So. Uh, which we won't get into, but verse 8 in uh, chapter 3. Look down to chapter 3. I'm uh, getting a lot of wind here. Yeah, I'm going to step over here. <laughs> See, my wife just told me to go back into the tent, so I'm submitting to another Christian. See? Amen. She was right, too. Yeah, that's right. All right. <laughs> okay, so verse 8. It says, now it happened at midnight that the man was startled. Because she, remember, she's, she's laying at his feet. She's, come, she's laying at his feet while he's sleeping. So verse 8, now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turning himself, uh, turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? See, it's dark. It's, it's midnight. He can't, doesn't recognize her. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Now, what just happened? Essentially, Ruth has just chosen to propose to Boaz. She's proposing to him, asking him to marry her. I love that. Next verse. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether rich or poor. Now, in the NLT, Boaz says you, you didn't go after a younger man whether rich or poor. I don't think that Boaz was particularly old, but wasn't as young as some others who may have had some more physical appeal, shall we say. <laughs> now, verse 11. And now, my daughter, this is Boaz. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town, now this is, we, we read all this to get to this line. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. 
That's a woman of valor. It's the exact same term we read about in Proverbs 31 in the Hebrew, where it said, who can, who can find a virtuous woman? What Boaz is, is telling Ruth here is that he's, he's saying, I have found a woman of valor. Now, I want to point out something else about the Proverbs 31 woman. All through the chapter, we get the idea, if we're not careful, that only wealthy women can be a woman of valor because she's got servants, she's got business endeavors, she's got all this stuff going on. But Boaz has just given Ruth that title, and she is the poorest of the poor. Because, again, it's her spiritual life that makes her value more than rubies. Because a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. Remember, she told Naomi, my God will be your God. Or your God will be my God, excuse me. That means that any woman can choose to fear the Lord and have the Lord call her a woman of valor. Amen. So, then Boaz takes care of everything in order to marry Ruth. And we won't get into all that because there was some stuff he had to do. But long story short, they get married and they have a son named Obed. And Obed's grandson is David who would later become king of Israel. And of course, Jesus Christ himself is in that family line. So it's interesting that God included a family redeemer in the line of Christ who would go to the cross and redeem us from our sins. It amazes me how God plans things out, you know. And speaking of Jesus, let's flip forward to the New Testament, to John. Gospel of John. In the second chapter. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And uh, this, is, uh, this is before Jesus' first miraculous sign where he turned water to wine. So starting in verse 1, in John chapter 2, keep messing myself up here, okay. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the masters of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he did not know, or and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. So, um, this is a very unique little exchange here, you know, between Jesus and his mother. Jesus already has disciples. People already consider him a great man. And they're at this wedding enjoying fellowship, you know, uh, just, you know, the, the Jewish people know how to have a lot of fun in, in, their, in their parties. And, uh, you know, when during this time, all of a sudden Mary comes up to Jesus and just makes this statement. She just says, they have no wine. And there's something about that that, to me, seems to be implying that she's expecting Jesus to do something about it. And Jesus picked up on that. Jesus' reply is just as veiled, though. He says, Jesus said to her in verse 4, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, uh, you know, 
And then in verse 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, this may confuse an American mind because it may seem like Jesus actually told her no, but that's not really what he did. There are Bible scholars that believe, based on how this account is told, that Mary actually had some position of responsibility at this wedding. You know, it was, it was close to Nazareth, Jesus' boyhood, boyhood town, and, you know, he, he was invited, but his mother was already there. It says in verse 2 that, no, uh, uh, oh, excuse me, verse 1, it said, it said there was a wedding in Canaan, Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, but she was already there. And so, you know, it, it just, it, it, it's feasible that Mary was helping out in the wedding. You know, it's close to her hometown. It's very possible she knows people there. She, maybe, maybe they're related somehow. Because, but, uh, you know, it's interesting that if she, had been, if she had been there helping out in the wedding, Jesus, you know, if that's the case, which we think it is, because Jesus says, what does your concern have to do with me? So Mary had a concern somehow with the wedding. She had something invested in it. And she apparently had the authority to give the servants instructions because she told the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you. So we believe that what we are seeing here is actually a delegation of authority. Jesus says, what does your concern have to do with me? But then Mary says, Jesus is like, I, I, don't, I don't have any authority here. So she says to the servants, whatever he says, do it. Because then he takes action. See? Jesus said, you know, in another place in the word, Jesus said he never did anything unless he saw the Father do it. That tells me that Mary, as Jesus' mother, had some leeway in moving the heart of God. At Mary's word, God directed Jesus to do this miracle. Okay? Even though, as he said, his time had not yet come. Why did the Father allow that? Because, we're, because what we're, we're looking at here is the Father saying, okay, go ahead and do it. Why would he allow that? It's not just because that Mary was a hard worker. It, it was because Mary was a woman of valor. She was one who feared the Lord. God selected uh, the mother of Jesus carefully. You know. So this is, this is why a mother who recognizes, or who God, excuse me, recognizes as a woman of valor has such, a power, has such powerful prayers. At Bible college, I heard dozens of Bible students say that they were there simply because they had a praying mother or a praying grandmother. Not that a, not that a, a mother's prayers are in and of themselves extremely powerful, and, you're, and, and not that the father's prayers or a friend's prayers aren't important. They are. But a mother can speak into her children's lives on a more personal level than most people can. I, you know, I mean, look at it this way. As a pastor, I speak to your life on the level of spiritual training. Your boss speaks into your life on a professional level. But a mom speaks into her children's lives in a more unique way. And so the question is, what is being spoken? What is a mother speaking into her children's lives? Because it doesn't take, it doesn't take impossible effort for a mom to become a woman of valor. Anyone can do it. If she sees the value in finding that favor with God, living in awe of God, you know, doing things to please God. And so, you know, Mary had enough favor with God that he answered her request and directed Jesus to turn water into wine. At the same time, no matter how much favor we have with God, there are times that his, pl that his plans are plans that we will not like. 
because God's plan eventually led Jesus to the cross. He had warned Mary through prophecy right after Jesus was born that a sword would pierce her very soul. It was her soul, so it wasn't going to be a physical wound to her. But she suffered anguish when Jesus went to the cross. And, you know, even there, though, at the cross, Jesus showed that she had taught him well in his childhood. Turn with me in this same book to chapter 19. John 19. As we begin to wrap this up. And, you know, it's funny to think that Mary taught Jesus as a child, but she did. The Gospel of Luke tells us that as a child, Jesus was obedient to his parents and he grew in wisdom and stature. All right, so we're picking up after Jesus has been crucified. So John 19, verse 25. It says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Now, John wrote the book of, of uh, John, uh, the Gospel of John. And whenever it says that disciple who Jesus loved or whatever, he's actually talking about himself, but he's not wanting to name himself, but it's John. So this is another cultural thing here. There's, there's no mention of Joseph during, earthly, during Jesus' earthly ministry. And so we, we assume that Joseph has passed away at this time. That would mean that Jesus, as the oldest son, would have the responsibility of making sure his mother was provided for. Okay. He knows he's about to die, and in three days he's going to ascend to the Father in heaven. So in order to, to make sure that Mary is provided for, he transfers her care into John's care. John is the only one of Jesus' disciples who didn't die the death of a martyr. And according to church tradition, he took Mary with him to Ephesus when he pastored the church there. And then that's where she lived out her days, according to church tradition. Amen. So God works out his plans of the earth through us, you know, the, and, and uh, that includes a special place for the office of a mother. It's interesting to me that, uh, you know, we can we can sometimes look at things through, uh, you know, with a materialistic eye and be like, well, you know, Ruth was seeking uh, security. But even Jesus acknowledges that that's important. Because he made sure that his mother was provided for after he was not going to be with her any longer. Amen? So you can see um, that Jesus turns around and honors her office. The office that she had and the, the hand that she, that she had in raising him. Amen? Okay, so uh, hopefully, you know, I mean, that's it for today. You know, hopefully that was encouraging for you. You know, and next month we'll get to talking about you, you fathers. We'll get after you guys, you know, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for the office of a mother. We thank you that it is a, a position of responsibility. It's a position of honor. And, uh, you know, we, we pray for our mothers that they don't feel discouraged during hard times, Lord, but that you, you lift them up, you strengthen them, that you remind them that you are their comforter, the lifter of their head. You are their strength and their song. You are the one who calls them a woman of valor. And so we thank you, Lord. I ask, Lord, you protect us all as we go. We ask for a swift resolution to, to this thing, we, uh, this, this pandemic thing. And we ask, Lord, that you would work it out for the good of those who love you. 
that you that they that they would be able to go and and be witnesses to Christ in the earth so that other people can come into the church and then they can also be blessed and and then uh, you know you so that your plans come to their fulfillment in the earth Lord and we thank you Lord and we praise you we love you and in Jesus name we pray amen okay everybody you're all dismissed